Welcome listeners. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to share a conversation today with Twitchy Witch, Ilian. Thank you for being here. Um, I discovered you on TikTok, I think about a year ago, and I've been just so entranced by your teachings um, of alchemy and tarot and um, history and religion. And I've learned so much from you and I love watching you and interacting with you. And um, so thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Wow. So how are you? You're often, are you in Montreal right now? Is there smoke around you? I'm in Toronto and the, the sky has been a nice consistent gray for the past week, 10 days, or I don't even know anymore. I'm losing it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm, down, I'm down in LA right now and uh, it's gloomy here too. Like the sun hasn't been out mm-hmm. here much either. Uh, and I keep like, even for the past couple of months, I've been looking at the weather in Canada. I'm like, it's warmer in Canada than it is here. Oh, it's awful. And I've been waiting for the sun. Like I, I have real vitamin D deficiencies. This cloudiness is not good for my mental health. Like, just not, it does not agree. For all of us, we need that, like the sun, like literally like the sun. <laughs> yeah, legit. Yes. We need it. <laughs> yeah. And fresh yeah. air. Like I'm just having a hard time going outside because just to, to get some fresh air. And sometimes for the last week or so, it's just been really smoky. Even going outside, it doesn't feel f- as fresh as usual. So it's, yeah. 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 Does that affect your, your well being, or do you feel like I, I, this is so interesting to me with spiritual people and people who are tapped into maybe other sorts of perceptions of the world? Like, do you still get like, oh no, reality is crumbling or like catalyzing outside? And I don't know. Well, well, I'm not afraid of the world ending. Like, if it's going to end, it's going to end, whatever. But I, I am Mediterranean. And I just like my body needs sunlight and fresh air. I'm used to being outside most of the time. So being inside in this little apartment in a cold country definitely affects my mental health. And this this period now has been affecting me in a weird way. Like I've just been unable to sleep properly, can't go outside. Like it's just a whole vibe. I also like to put my feet in the grass like every day, like bare feet. Um, and that's also hard to do now because just like I was saying, being outside just doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Going outside with like a mask on and then you're taking your shoes and on the ground. It's just a weird sort of, yeah. I mean, you do what you got to do, but like, I've been waiting all winter for, for the summer. Yeah. What is this? I'm taking it very personally. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, excuse me, weather. Like we had a deal. And, like yeah. I, I made it through the whole winter. You said that, you know, the sun would come out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I personally, like I can get into catastrophizing a bit, like looking at the, the fires in Canada and the smoke that was coming down. Like I really had to pull myself back from the edge. Cause like I've studied a lot of the climate science and, and I have made peace with like the world ending I have and it's like how I get through but then I still get to that place where I'm like I'm not okay with that well because why would anyone be okay with it but like <laughs> you know just like right re-centering myself grounding myself remember like I'm safe right now and like me freaking out doesn't make anything better for anybody else right right but- and then to me it's a lot like you know thinking about say this being signs of the end of the world is so similar 
to just the your everyday concept of death. Like we are going to die. Our world is going to end, be it in an individual sense or in a collective sense. So, and I've already gone through the whole journey in terms of like reconciling with death. So mm-hmm. when I start seeing all the conspiracy videos, everyone freaking out, the climate, et cetera, I'm like, oh, yeah, we already did this work. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that, that brings up so many thoughts. Um, I mean, death, like key 13, right? I, it's my understanding mm-hmm. that in the Marseille deck or one of the original decks, there was no name for it, that it was just like this yeah. nameless card. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then in so many lineages, death is rebirth. It's just like the the natural cycle of things. Um, but also on a personal note, I just finished co-writing a book for uh, a client about partly about immortality, um, partly about like human longevity and the technology that's coming on board. And there are researchers out there who believe they figured out how to safeguard the human body from aging, how to cure aging, essentially. Sheesh. Okay. I think I saw something like that, like a video of these two men on a podcast talking about how they could now make you like 20 years younger, like your genes would actually be younger. And Yeah, they're doing that. They're reverse like skin cells, for example, they figured out how to bring back, um, like they've done it with mice in the lab, like they're speeding up aging, they're slowing down aging, they're halting aging. And so to me, like I pair that with AI and with climate change where I'm like, okay, some big shift is happening. I don't know where we're going, but I do know that all of these things are happening parallel to each other that seem like the, like, I'm like simultaneously the world is ending and we're going to live forever. So (laughs) right. It it is a confusing world, but I, I think that, so I read a lot of history. I just love history. And what I've noticed is throughout history, at every major shift, especially technological shifts and scientific discoveries, everyone always thinks it's the end of the world. Always. It, it's that that is a recurrent narrative. And we're a lot of what we're saying on TikTok and on Instagram and people all over the internet, a lot of that is almost verbatim what people have said before at every turn and at every age. And I don't know. So, so, so such a large part of me is just too skeptical, I guess, to skeptical of this out of the world catastrophe, like even nature, we were just talking about nature and the nature teaches us that like, even if you have a little plant that's wilting and dying and you can always revive it somehow, you bring, put it in new soil, you water it, you feed it, you get a little fertilizer, you put it in the right environment. And what you thought was dead just comes back to life. Like, I mean, it's not, it's never, to me at least, it's just never so grim. I just don't think that, that, that death can overpower life at any point. Like we talk about the balance and that these two are the opposite ends of each other. And it's like a, a zero sum game. But the fact is if, it's not, it's a positive sum game. If it were a zero sum game, everything would be the same. There would be this maintenance of a, of a status quo, but actually there's always progress. There's always more, there's more people, there's more discoveries, there's expansion, there's more travel, more connections. So there's a, life is consistently winning over death. But I think that's what I'm trying to say mm. overall. 
I love this. I love this. And like, maybe the death, like what we label death or what we perceive as death is like, it's just a transition into something else. Exactly. Life's way of dissolving and then reassembling itself in a more expansive way every time, essentially. Yeah. And like life will out, like, like it's just going to keep, it might not look like when I think about, you know, the end of the world, when I make peace with that, like the so-called end of the world, right. Or like what I perceive from my, my little human spot where I'm like, my world's going to end one day. (laughs) But like thinking of all those things that are all these things that are happening. And I think about the metaphor of the, the, the caterpillar into the butterfly and, Mm. and how in that in-between transformational stage, like it's total annihilation Mm -hmm. for that creature. And, and, but it comes out completely different, but made up of all the same pieces, like Mm -hmm. it was all in there. And so just accepting that it's just like that, that, yeah, it's going to keep going. And I might not retain this sense of self or this sense of this, like specific viewpoint of consciousness, but it is going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a great metaphor. I think for the whole solve coagula theme, right? Like, cause the caterpillar caterpillar literally dissolves into the environment it made itself made for itself and then is reborn as this new thing this new combination between itself and its environment itself and its cocoon it's insane it's actually so magical like it's simple but it's so magical it's so magical yeah (laughs) and I think of like the the hangman for me has come to represent that cocoon Mm. phase yes uh, but I know p- different people have different perspectives on that, like some more sort of negative oriented or like even um, I saw, I think it was a medicine woman deck that depicted the hangman as narcissist. I, I might be incorrect, but I thought that was an interesting way of. That is interesting. I always, I love the hangman. It's one of my favorite cards. It's so underrated as a card, I think. And it always reminds me of Odin when I see the hanged man. I always think of Odin hanging himself from that tree and just being like, if any of the gods try to touch me or help me, it will be the end for them. You will leave me alone so that I can transform into the wandering God. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) Maybe that's the narcissistic part where I'm like, you know, like this is just me and me doing me. (laughs) Yeah. But in the, in the Thoth deck, do you call it Thoth or Thoth? What's your pronunciation of that? Thoth, I guess. Just yeah. But I've seen people say it's Toth or it's Thoth or but honestly, I mean, the, you know, the Egyptians who were using the name are not coming back to reprimand me. So I'm just gonna read it the way I see it and keep going. <laughs> I love it. I love this. I, I get a little like hyperfixated on like, oh, I have to get the thing right. And it's just like, who cares? I don't know. Yeah. I think that's the pressure also of our current political social climate. There's a lot of pressure in terms of, oh, you have to say it right. You have to do it right. And there's always somebody who's going to be offended on behalf of someone else. And at this point, I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to focus on your own struggle and leave me alone. And if the ancient Egyptians have an issue, they can come to me in my dreams. Otherwise, I I don't know why you're speaking on their behalf. Like, what? (laughs) I love. That's a great point. Like, one of my favorite um, teachers and philosophers, 
philosopher is a man named Bioaka Malafe, and uh, he speak, he's he encourages mispronunciation. He's like, don't be afraid of like, because people will look at his name and they'll be like, how do I? And he's like, just try it. Like, I'm. It's great. Like, maybe that's where the answers are in the place where we're afraid to to go and to get wrong. Um, but with the thought. Both deck in in that depiction of the hangman, um, he's he's martyr. He's got the nails, or they um, have nails um, uh, upside down in that you know perhaps cocoon state or Odin state, but with also the nails to this what right. looks like a yeah. grid, yeah. Mm. Um, and so it, it yeah it it makes me think of um, even though we're transforming, we're still kind of in this space. We're still in this matrix of this fourfold consciousness if you mm -hmm. will mm -hmm. yeah. um, definitely that's interesting that you bring that up too because I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of like we talk about the the physical mental emotional spiritual but when it comes to defining what is the spiritual I've just been asking people uh, over the last couple of weeks because I've been thinking about this what is the spiritual it's easy to say what the mental physical and emotional are, but what is the spiritual? What are, what are you saying when you say the spiritual? And the more people I ask, the more people I asked, the more I realized that there was no pinned down definition. Like no one is actually sure. There's no consensus as to what's the spiritual. And I've come to a conclusion lately, especially since I've been reading like the gospel of Mary Magdalene and just diving back into hermeticism for book club. Um, I, I have a feeling that when we say, when we talk about that fourth dimension, that spiritual dimension, I actually think we're talking about the, a certain alignment between the mental, physical, and emotional. It's not actually that the spiritual is a separate category as much as it is the coming together of the three, if you know what I mean, like that, the, in that alchemical notion of out of the third comes the one is the fourth. And I think to a degree, I think that, that that's, that's where it's at, knowing how to combine these, diff these three different aspects of ourselves in a way that creates a spiritual awareness, a solar awareness. Um, yeah, sorry for that, that rant. Just I love that. <laughs> that's, the rant was perfect. It, it, that makes a lot of sense to me. What's coming to mind is, you know, we know there are three dimensions of space, um, but the fourth dimension, like there's no clarity from physicists that the fourth dimension is time because we actually don't know what time is. Um, like we understand entropy, I think to an extent, um, but like when we talk about the so-called space-time matrix and when we hear, you know, you hear people say like, we're evolving to 5D. And like, usually they're like 3D to 5D. I'm like, where did 4D go? Like, like, because <laughs> no one really knows what 4D is. Because um, no one really knows what time is. But if, you know, if, if it's those three aspects together, like coming to understand or to, to be in balance, to have this experience of linear consciousness, which is what we understand time to be, mm -hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense. Right. I, I feel you. Because like, so we, like you said, we don't know, we don't know the fourth dimension. There's not even scientifically, what is, what is time? Like what's, I mean, 
I don't, I don't know. But if in that, like in that train of thought, then it also makes sense that gravity and time are somewhat connected or time is somehow some outgrowth of gravity or vice versa. Like, I don't know. It's just so fun to think about this. this it's, stuff. it's the best. Um, yeah. And it also can be like discombobulating too. Do you ever have ex- existential crises? Like, is that part of your world? Oh, always. I would be, I would not be myself without my crises. Definitely. <laughs> my bread and butter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you have like, um, like, what do you do for yourself when you're in that state or are you just witnessing it? Well, at this point, I I started having like um, psychotic breaks essentially at a very, very young age. So I was about six or seven years old the first time my perception of reality essentially shattered. And it kept happening till I was about 22. And at that point, um, I had such a breakdown that I just dove into a depression for about three years. And then after that, after I was about 25 or 26, things just started to make better sense or I don't know, some level of my ego I had reached at that point had dissolved to the point where an existential crisis became an opportunity to go to Wonderland, essentially. Like, so at this point, I know that space so well like I know once once I start staying up past 2 a.m like right now like I'm kind of in the midst of an of an existential crisis right now especially with this this weather something like that will send me off but it becomes a like I'll just be like ah so we are the monsters are back I will make some coffee and uh see what you guys have for me and usually what I end up doing is writing a lot, watching a lot of things, researching whatever crazy ideas I'm coming up with. And that'll usually send me to create something new or start something new. Or it's how I started Twitchy, essentially. It's the outcome of, of an existential crisis. Like it's, it's, it was a, at the end of it, it was a, it was a, it's time to tell people about this because you're not the only one. And I was like, oh, very interesting. And yeah, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. how, how long ago was that? Uh, I would say December 2021, it started. And then it kept going till like summer of 2022. And then I started twitchy around like mid-July, early August something like that I think of last year last year yeah wow so I think I'm I found you quite at the beginning of yeah 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 and you just I I so I you know because I create on TikTok as well and I I I I started a couple months before you and I was like working to get so clear on what I was trying to talk about and I arrived at that place and I had this video go viral and then I had all this attention and like logging into like a thousand new followers and being like so high on (laughs) adrenaline that I couldn't sleep. Um, but then I totally like my ego couldn't handle it. And (laughs) I totally like had to shut it off and, and take a break and just, I couldn't hold it. Um, Mm. and, and, and watching you, it's like, wow, she's 
so clear and and you know you you had a methodology and everything was in place and I just I'm so impressed by like your certitude if that's the right word or just your self-actualization in that space thank you um I mean when you say it like that it's so crazy because on my end I was not sure about anything. Same thing happened to me. My video started popping off and I just couldn't sleep. And I just kept like refreshing. Every time I would refresh, I would have new followers. The count would just rise. Me and my friends spent a whole weekend just watching the numbers rise. And I had no, I, I had no idea. I just like had the, the, this, this meltdown, like a quick depression, like a six month type thing. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to just start talking about dreams. And I had started a little side business for tarot because it's just so expensive to live in Toronto. I wasn't able to pay rent. And I was trying to promote the little side hustle so that I could make rent. And I started talking about tarot. It didn't get much attention. Then I was like, okay, I also know dreams. Symbolism is essentially my, my thing. Just it has always been spirituality, symbolism, esotericism. Um, so I went into dreams and then I remembered the Emerald Tablet and I was like, hey, oh, I was watching a movie. I was watching a film. I can't remember what film, but there was a trial scene. And the man was like, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And I was like, oh, the Emerald Tablet. Yo, I'm going to talk about this. This is going to blow their minds. And it did. <laughs> and then and then from there, I just kept going and people would contact me and like give me advice and be like oh you have to find this is your niche and you have to do this and you have to do that let me help you with your content let me help you organize how do you streamline how do you film I literally to this day will get an idea go to my couch film a video put the captions on it cut out all the parts of me breathing so that people stay interested and post it that's it. That's my whole process. I don't pre-film. I don't prepare anything like nothing. And um, people, yeah, like I was saying, everybody kept kept giving me all this. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I kept on looking at the account and like, you know what? The numbers are rising. People are booking tarot readings. I am making rent. I'm not going to take anybody's advice. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to make it chaos. And I don't care. Like all of these, especially men, there's, there was a lot of men who were approaching me to help with structuring and kaza, and this is how you do this and this is how you do that and this is what people do and I was like you know what it sounds like this is what you do and it sounds like this is just the structure that somebody set up and everybody just went along with and I would rather uh just be real nobody nobody lives inside of a niche I cannot contain my interests I am going to want to talk about religion tomorrow and I don't want to be stopped because that's not my niche and I did that. I made the first like Jesus in the Quran video. And then that popped off. And every time I would change directions, people would just be down for it. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll go. I'll go there with you. Let's go. Like, whatever. So tarot, dreams, religion, esotericism, history, whatever it is, like, we should be allowed to just reign free and follow our interests and do whatever we want. And I'm so glad it comes off as so assured because like I said, I was just totally just doing whatever came to mind, whatever felt natural, doing my best to not listen to the crit the critical voice in my head, to listen to the people reaching out. Because especially when I popped off at first, it was so overwhelming. Like you said, just 
getting all that attention is so weird. And then having all these people reach out that like just holding yourself back from that in itself is a practice, I think. And I think, I think that that helped me. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I would have been bigger and more successful now if I had gone with all these things I would, I was offered, but I like the direction that I took because I still am in, am in control of my own chaos. Nobody else is, you know, telling me what to do or what I should or shouldn't do or what the structure is. And this is how, I mean, I don't, I don't care. Like my parents, my whole society told me that what I was supposed to do was have three children by now. Uh, Like what I'm, People are already doing what you're saying that they're doing. Like, why would I make more of that? It's just redundant at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Is, is, do you have long-term goals or even short-term goals for the project or is it all being felt out in the moment? (laughs) (laughs) Literally, I'm still at the, all right. I just want, I just need to make sure that my tarot readings of the month are full and that rent is met. That that is the main like. If there's a a, a solid objective for every month, that is it. Just making rent, and then everything else is spreading knowledge, helping people, sharing insight, challenging people. That has become a big part. Like that at first was not a thing, but then as I started moving into different topics and getting different kinds of responses from people, especially the hate mail. Oh my gosh, that was when I started realizing. Okay. Perhaps the larger picture here that I don't totally see is a change of mind, a, a, a shift. I know that there's a paradigm shift happening. And at this point, I think perhaps I have a role in facilitating this shift or easing this shift or helping people embrace the shift. So, yeah, challenging people is a big one for me now. Mm. And. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. making you think, like ask, ask questions. Like, well, why are you so convinced? Who, who told you all this stuff? Just ask, ask a question, bro. There's nothing wrong. You don't need to find an answer. Just mm. let your mental space expand. All it takes is a question. Answers to me, close the, close the space. Like, this is the end. This is the answer. Let's, let's put a pin in it and revisit. No, like what? No. I want to keep, I'm going to ask why forever. Just going to keep, keep spiraling out. (laughs) You can't pin an idea to a cross. Legit. (laughs) Yeah. And the feedback, especially from people who are triggered is so clarifying. Like it says so much about them. And and I think the questions too, like you must get so much insight from the questions people ask you with tarot. Like I find sometimes you can, you could just break it all down based on their question. You don't even need to pick up the cards. <laughs> Legit. Legit. You just hear what someone has to say and what they're going through. And you're like, yeah, we need to shift your mindset a little bit. You're fine. It's all good. We just need, we just need to take this out of the little box that you put it in and just let it roam free. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're such emotional beings and we're so attached to our emotional experiences and like we're just like but I feel this way so it must be true legit who told you your feelings were smart bro like who told you your ideas were good it's it's especially for me it's the people who have the convictions the beliefs the like I will fight to the death like seriously bro like you're not gonna be here to defend this 
and within like a few a few seconds in retrospect, if not a few milliseconds, are you really mm-hmm. going to waste your time defending something, you know, that's eventually going to dissolve once you're gone? Just have fun, bro. Like what? what's happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think like, you know, the par- the paradigm shift that you're talking about and the, you know, the, the, the dark night of the soul or the ego death or like even the depression that we go through, like, allowing those things to happen and like feeling those shifts like allows us to yeah just be in a shifting paradigm where so many people are just kind of clinging on to well this is what I've been handed and like and this is what I see maybe or I believe and then it keeps reinforcing itself and they are unwilling or unable to allow in the discomfort that comes with the shifting perspective yeah and I you know like I'm making fun, but I also can't blame anyone because I can't say that, especially the first time you do it, especially if you're doing it as an adult, like, like I said, I had my worldview shattered and my quote unquote ego death, first ego death when I was very, very young. And I was never programmed to think religiously or to think with convictions. My parents were spiritual people. My mentors were spiritual people, even the religious ones like the priests, rabbis, sheikhs that I grew up with never tried to dogmatize me. They always reminded me to ignore the dogma, to think past the dogma, to challenge the dogma. So I was already really lucky. And it's still difficult for me when I have these existential crises. So when I imagine somebody going through this dark night of the soul for the first time as an adult, I mean, it's not, it's not easy and it can fuck you up. Like if you, if you can't make it all the way through, you can get stuck there and it can just Mm. get worse than it was. So, and I've seen that happen too. Like it's risky business, but if you can make it through, if you can be honest with yourself, if you can be brave, it's worth it. So worth it. I think. Mm. I agree. Yeah. But I found for myself, I'm like, it's gotten worse a bit. Like the last one I went through was definitely the worst one by far. And I was like, no, this is supposed to get easier than like, well, <laughs> no, it gets, it gets worse for sure. Until you reach a point where you start enjoying the added intensity of it every time, but it is going to get worse. I can tell you that it, it, because you are more aware. So the same way that if you are someone who doesn't, experience a lot of joy you're also somebody who doesn't suffer too deeply but the more you are able to experience joy to take in your surroundings to love the more you're going to hurt the more you're going to suffer it's part of it and I think you reach a point like I said I reached a point where I completely broke down it was after like several times growing up and that lasted a long time like that depression lasted a long time. It was really bad. Like I got to a point where like, I, I couldn't, I was just totally dysfunctional. Like I couldn't put together why I needed to brush my teeth in the morning since they were going to be dirty again. And I was going to have to brush them again. Like what kind of fucking cycle is this? I can't live like this. Why am I even alive? What's the point of this? Why don't I end this? Like it, it was a whole thing. It wasn't until after that, that I learned to love the exponentially increasing intensity and to appreciate that this is the expansion of my awareness at work. And I chose this path. So I have to be 
up to the responsibility of it, which is to accept it's just going to get deeper. If we're going to take Christ as our example, as this like solar consciousness on earth, this person underwent the worst kind of death and rebirth. So, I mean, this person pinned themselves to a cross. They, they were crucified. Is there anything worse? Is is there a better symbol for an existential breakdown or a dark night of the soul? Is there anything darker to be crucified by your own people? Like, it's so, you know, it, that in itself reminds me like, you know, you know, the work, the if the work is going to be great, then the pain is going to be just as great. So, mm. Mm. <laughs> I was I've been thinking about pain and suffering a lot, and the um, the quote that always comes to mind first is from the prophet Khalil Gibran, and um, pain is the shell. Um, pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Yes. I love Gibran. Oh, and um, Eckhart Tolle says pain is the price of your freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because also there's so much swirling. There's also like the second arrow in Buddhism, you know, that suggests that like pain is the first arrow. And then the second arrow is the stuff is choice. What we choose to the stories we choose to tell about the pain. Um, But I feel like also in Buddhism somewhere they say life is suffering or something along those lines. I don't know if that's kind of misquoted, but um, thinking about Jesus and the suffering that was quote unquote for all of humanity, what, you know, depending on what ideology you buy into that, that was, you know, the sacrifice suffering was the sacrifice to save the world as it were. And yet Mm -hmm in that in the in the paradigm of of christianity of this notion that um that jesus died for our sins and the heavenly father you know that it's all outside and above and separate from us and that we must repent for our own sins because jesus suffered for us within that paradigm the tension around suffering and pain is so interesting because capitalism thrives on us being in enough pain that we need to mask our suffering with consumption and so it's like there's this weird tension going on where like we're uncomfortable with pain and we're uncomfortable with suffering and we're trying to avoid it under the paradigm that tells us that suffering was the height of you know the spiritual religious experience and yet mm-hmm. we're operating from this place where we are trying or we're taught to 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 suppress all of that. And it's just all so twisted. Yeah. The Western world has, I think, most of all, a problem with death. And that's, that's what our, that, that that's what the ideology has built itself around a rejection of death. Capitalism helps you forget the anxiety of non-existence. I'm sorry, were you crying about, about, you know, being, being dead? That's okay. This is a nice little toy. Why don't you just play with this? Distract yourself. It's all right. You're, you're going to be okay. Don't worry. Just play with this for now. And if you get worried again, we have more products for that. Like, no, we need, we need to chill out. I think it's really interesting what you're saying, because with what the, especially in terms of externalizing the Christ, like this has now become something that you have to live up to 
and appease to and find your way back to. And you have to do it without engaging with any kind of darkness. You have to be the ultimate light. Just totally reject anything that is dark or awful or what we consider evil or different or other or anything that doesn't contribute to our ideal of immortality, which also brings us back to this technology that people are working on for aging and, and reversing the aging process and making us live longer. I, I, I've always felt like the Western world has an issue, a big psychological issue with the idea of death. They just do not think that they're going to die. People genuinely on one level just aren't, aren't facing that, especially if you're born and raised in a Western Catholic environment, like it's not, it's not about the death. It's about the immortality through the man himself and all the violence of the imagery that you need to focus on so that you never repeat that again. Like, I, I don't know. And then it gets tied into like this whole image of Jesus being meek and humble and all of this like stuff when in fact, like Jesus was OG, first of all. And like, this is not... Like it's just so out of a line, not out of alignment. It's so, it's like a half truth. Like as, again, in the words of Gibran as well, like you shouldn't trust half livers. It, there is no, there is no half life. Th those who only love halfway will only, I think he says he, they'll only cry half their tears and, and express half their laughter. And that's not a life. That's a half life. And that's what we, I think, are caught in in the West, this half-life. Let's just ignore, let's ignore the abyss because I can't do with it right now. I'm going to go buy myself something pretty and we'll be okay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I had uh, a woman named Skeena Rathor on this podcast uh, and she was um, from, she's um, Indian lineage and she was talking to me about going to a funeral of someone she really cared for. And she just wanted to wail and, and weep. And that was, you know, in her cultural upbringing supported, but it, she was in sort of a, a waspy space and she was with mm. this man's daughters and they were just, you know, and, and, and so she did the same thing. And she said, you know, she got a headache and she started feeling nauseous. And I, I've had these experiences in my own family with, you know, with grieving and honoring past ones. And it's just, it's, it's not available in those spaces to actually feel deeply. Um, and it reminds me of your multiverse theory and talking about grief being perhaps the energy of our loved ones coming into us once they pass or like, we don't know what to do with it. And mm -hmm. I'm so interested by that concept of like, well, grief being love all built up with nowhere to go. And, and, and to, yeah, to live a half-life because we're afraid of the suffering or we're conditioned to be afraid of the pain that we don't get to experience the other half. We don't get to experience the full depth of the joy or even the curiosity. Mm. It's demonized. Like even, especially for example, as women, uh, we're, cons we're consistently reminded about our skin, our looks, the fact that we're aging, that we're going to lose value when we age. And Within that narrative is already baked in the idea, well, you know, when you cry, you're really messing up your DNA. You're just helping yourself age. Stress is not good for your body. You shouldn't be sad. You can't be spending days on end crying or grieving over someone that's not going to be good for your skin. You don't want to age more quickly, do you? 
it's a, it's a whole, it's, and all of that on top of that, all of this new medical psychiatric talk about what happens when you're upset as if being upset or being in grief or being sad is, is some kind of demon, some kind of devilish value, but like as above, so below, like if I'm not going to be able to be sad, if I can't wail for somebody that I love, that is a part of me, like, what am I even doing? What is going on? It doesn't, it's not, there's something so weird. There's something just so twisted about it. And the conspiracy, the conspirator in me um, wants to believe that it's set up in a way to keep us subservient, to keep us okay with being numbed. Like in Canada, for example, the fact that they legalized weed and now everybody's kind of on weed. Not that I have anything against weed, um, but it is a number. It's a numbing factor, right? And I mean, the more people you have in a population that aren't feeling anything, that aren't thinking anything that are half baked most of the time and not taking in their surroundings, they're going to be easily told to pay an extra dollar on something every other day. I mean, we bought tomatoes the other day for like $9 or something at Costco. I think like a year ago, they were like $4, the same package. And I, as I was taking the tomatoes, like picking up the groceries and stuff, I looked at it and I was like, wow. How, like, when did this happen? And how did I not notice? This is how good they are. Like, and I'm still here and I'm still paying my bills. Like, what am I going to do? But I just feel like it's all, it's all connected somehow in all these very intricate and messed up ways. And just need to like really take our time to pick it all apart. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, it's like the truth is in there, but it's just like, it's all messy and like, you got to pick apart the threads and like the food thing is, oof, you know, I know how many people are stressing right now to pay their bills. Like it's all, it's never not been a stress in our, in modern society, but like it's heightening and, you know, I, it, things took a spike during the pandemic, like the people certain type of pe person, the person who maybe has the least ability to feel grief or the least ability to access the full depth of their humanity, decided to capitalize. And we're fed this mythology that like, oh, inflation is normal and things are just going up. And like, maybe it's harder to like, the food chain is breaking a bit. So it's harder to get things. And yet then why were there 44 new food billionaires within the first year of the pandemic, like 44 wow. new people became food billionaires. Wow. That's insane. I didn't know that. Yeah. And like, the, it's a, like, it's, it's, it's in Canada, there's, you know, two thirds of the grocery stores are owned by, I don't know, two or three companies. Um, and there's been price fixing going on, which they deny, but then these companies are also, they also own certain media companies. And so, we're not getting clear reporting on what's actually happening. And like, you know, the reporting on behalf of the corporations, you have to, it's, but to your point, like there's just so much noise and we're constantly participating in numbing behaviors that we don't have the ability to focus in. We don't have the ability to go like, this is wrong because most of, most people are just too busy trying to stay alive under capitalism and pay their bills because we're not, we're sectioned off for, from each other. We don't have community to turn to in most places. We're just kind of in our little boxes, just paying, you know, 
10% more for tomatoes than we did last year. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know. And, you know, what frustrates me sometimes is feeling like I can't do anything to stop it. Like, you know, like there's nothing I can just up and do to make it all stop or make it all right. I wouldn't even know what to do or where to start. And then the thought of like, well, if you want to break the system, you have to be inside the system. And the even the idea of that disgusts me. Like, I don't want to be inside this fucking system. I just want to be outside raging with a sign. But that doesn't help at the same time. So lots of back and forth in my mind on that. And to your point on community, I think that is the greatest of psyops of our of our modern age, the the way we've been isolated and the way we seem to think that independence is a virtue, that being single will make you a better partner. How? Like, like what? Like, it's like saying that lying on your couch will make you a better athlete. Like, are, are you, you have to move to be a better athlete. You have to be with people to be good at being with people. You can't, you can't get good at being alone and expect yourself to become the best partner of all time. Not to mention, like, why isn't it talked about that love makes us younger? Daily kisses make us younger. That shit is good for our skin. You don't age when you're being kissed good morning every day. Why are we told these things? Why isn't that ever brought up? There's so much, there's so much virtue around being alone when the fact of the matter is if you want to punish someone, you put them in isolation. If someone is in prison, they're put in further isolation for misbehavior. And yet, we convince ourselves, oh, I need to move away from my parents. I need to move away. I need new friends. These people are holding me back, blah, blah, blah. I need to be, I need to have my own apartment. Like seriously, bro, do you, do you think the industrial complex really needs your support? Does it need, does it need more? Do more apartment buildings need to be put up? Like what is happening here? Why aren't we building communes with people that we get along with? What is happening? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, that hits. <laughs> yeah. That hits so hard. Um, yeah, you know, this the 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 housing crisis, the the dialogue around the house. I'm like, it's not a housing crisis. There's enough infrastructure. We're not short on infrastructure. We don't need more infrastructure. It the infrastructure is distributed in like unfairly. It's ridiculous. And people will believe it. People will hear it, consume it. The the media outlets are really good at framing things. They're rhetorical masters. So they know how to frame something. They know how to make you feel the way they want you to feel. And, you know, you can't blame people for, for being afraid. Their fear is being played on. And our fear is the greatest manipulative factor that we move in. Hmm. So, yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely, and the it's uh, the the news media is such a double-edged sword because we want to stay engaged, and to an extent, we need to be aware of what's going on, and yet the the framing around the way the news is delivered, you know, ninety percent of the time, ninety five. Well, you can't deliver any news without bias, essentially, unless you're just listing facts. But even then, like, there's there's still bias because Always. it's still from a point of view. Um, and I always have to remember, like when I see an article and it catches my eye and it does something to my heart, you know, because the, the headlines are always crazy. 
I have to stop, take a breath, remind myself, okay, before everything else, what this website wants is clicks because it wants to survive and it makes money off my click. It will say whatever it needs to say to get me to click on it. I need to remember that I cannot freak out as soon as I see a crazy headline. I have to calm down, click on the thing, see what's going on and use my discernment to see like what is rhetorically just trying to pull me in and keep me on the page for views and clicks and money. And what is actually the info? And then I'll have to go and like, I'll pick out the things that I think are relevant or like that I can discern. And I have to go and do another search on these specific things till you get to the very bottom of it and you realize that only about 2% of that original crazy ass article was worth anything of your time. So like a yeah. one sentence will be on point. Everything else will just be filler, just getting you to stay on the website so that they can keep the magazine going. Like, yeah. That's it. And keep you in that place of, of, of not full numbness, but enough, like a little bit numb and a little bit needing to suppress. So just going to buy afraid. more. Yeah. And afraid fear is, I think the the biggest, the biggest thing that's played on in our world today. Yeah. You can get any, you can get somebody to do anything out of fear. I learned that from 1984. Mm. Like you can, I know that like we, we, I believe in the human spirit, but there are places that fear can take you like that can break your soul at the end, like that, at the end of that book. Winston, it was his name, or Wilson, he denies his love, he denies his freedom, he burns his journals, he, the book ends with him being just a good member of society, him and his girlfriend, they're just, they're just numbers in the system, they've been raw dog down till they're just one of the others, and all that spirit and inflammation and revolution, that spirit that we saw throughout the whole book, is just totally sawed down because they play on their greatest fears. Wilson's greatest fear is rats. And they literally put a helmet cage of rats on his head to get him to break his own spirit. And that that book kills me, especially that, that ending. It just, when I read it the first time, it blew my mind. Like, wow, wow. (laughs) <laughs> that can happen they could do that to us yeah do you remember how old you were when you read it for the first I time think I, I think I was like 15 or 16 I guess mm. but by then so I've been an avid reader my whole life I started reading very very young um long story short I was kind of born with a with the a hip with broken hips so I couldn't move I was in I was in a cast for the first year of my life and I was already like writing very early because that's all I could play with I had a box I used to I, I existed in a box for the first year of my life and my parents would just give me papers and pens to play with so I wasn't like eating things and crawling around and being held like other kids I was just sitting observing and scribbling So I started reading very, very early and by like 13, 14, I was already, like I said, I had had a number of like breakdowns, psychotic breaks. And I was already reading a lot of philosophy in my early teens. So when I read 1984 and my parents are very political because they're Lebanese and Lebanese people in general are just very politically 
aware, like ge geopolitics. And I think actually in most, if not all uh, post-colonial countries, there is a different kind of awareness for global geopolitics than there is in the West because we just consistently live with the effects of um, colonial policies and the international decisions of Western countries and more powerful countries, richer countries. Uh, so I was already in a, in a mindset and a space where I had some knowledge about colonial era and some political history and some philosophy. So reading 1984 was like figuring out that it, for me at the time, I was such an outcast that I became afraid that my own outcast spirit could actually be taken from me if I drank the Kool-Aid or if anyone knew my weaknesses or my fears, that, that could be capitalized on. That could be, that could be used against me to the point that it would kill who I was. So yeah, that was a long answer to how old were you, but. <laughs> what a powerful revelation to have at that age. <laughs> but it sounds like you were set up from day one to to have this broad uh, analytical or just like um, just the this observance of the world. Yeah, yeah. Observance is, I think, the the big theme in my life for as long as I can remember. Mm. Was there something specific that triggered your first existential crisis at six? To be honest, I don't know. Um, it, it's it, it, it came, it happened after I had a dream. So I had this dream that there was this, I was on a journey with my two best friends, this little black girl and this Lebanese boy. They were my only friends at the time. And we were driving a car on this open plane. And we kept on stopping at these different uh, points and at the end, where we were going was towards a light. And the light was painfully blinding, painfully. I couldn't look at it. And it wasn't always there, but they couldn't see it. But they knew or they believed me when I told them that the light was there and I was in pain. So they would cover me like we would stop on the road and they would cover me so I wouldn't have to look at the light when all that they saw was a donkey on the top of a hill. And so the whole dream was just us journeying towards this painfully blinding um, light that um, at the very end was a unicorn somehow, like we eventually reached it and it was this spectacular white unicorn. It was so beautiful. And we stopped at some place and one of my, the, the black girl, Ama, she jumped into a pond and I could see in the pond these monsters and all these mythical creatures. And I was so scared. They were all swimming around her, her feet. And she was like, come in, come in, come into the water. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go take a nap in the car. I'm going to wait for you. And we'll, we'll see what happens. So there were a couple spots where we would stop and I would be afraid, but then I would either sleep it off or I would like force myself to stand and stare at the thing and we reached it and there was this unicorn and it was great. But after I woke up from this dream, I was convinced that I was dead. And that didn't go away. <laughs> that, was, that was it. And I told my parents, I told my dad, I, I told the rabbi, his name was Mr. White, and my priest, uh, Mr. Maximus. And they were like trying to 
reassure me, like, this is a good thing. Like, you know, the priest told me that this was a, a, a Jesus image, that this was the Christ image, that Christ came on a donkey, that I was meeting Christ. And I was like, I know I met him and I'm dead. Don't you understand? I'm fucking dead. Like, what don't you understand? I'm not really here. You're probably not even here. I I don't even know how to explain it, but I was 1000% convinced that we were all moving within the realm of my own death. And I could not escape the feeling for a while. Um, and that's when like I started reading more philosophical stuff. My dad got me this collection of uh, philosophies explained for kids. It has Spinoza and Schopenhauer and um, all these different philosophers. And that started to calm me down a little bit. And then it would come back. And like you said, it would come back more intensely. And it's just, it just, yeah, it kept going like that, kept repeating itself. But, you know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> wow. And then you went on to study Jungian dream analysis and post-secondary. And gee, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah legit yeah oh I why I was drawn to symbolism and esotericism because by then by the time I got to college I was in a kind of a more judgy mindset at that point trying to figure out who I was and comparing myself to everyone and you know like not liking anybody not enjoying anyone's company and I thought when I discovered the occult and esotericism I was like aha these people know what I'm talking about. These people have the answers. Four or five years down the line, most of them are just bullshit men, like, you know, very misogynistic, trying to make some money, creating a hype for themselves. A lot of it turned out to just be wishy-washy stuff. But not to say that there isn't any wisdom in, in these teachings, obviously, but I think this was the period that my discernment really started to develop when I because I dived in thinking that this is it this is going to be the answer this is where I'm going to find out really what's wrong with me and why this keeps happening and what the message is but I didn't didn't find out I just found out that there are no answers and mm. that a lot of these men really don't like women for some reason like there was a period where I had a bit of a crisis like am I not allowed to be doing this because I'm a woman because none of them are women. And every time they talk about things, they talk about it in the paradigm of a man and what a man does. And even the philosophers I would read would have opinions on women. And I remember reading, I don't remember who it was, but he was talking about how woman, like woman is this like empty vessel. And that's why she always needs to be pretty. And that's why she needs to take care of this, this outside vessel of hers, because that is essentially what creates the urge, the desire for man to become a man, to be the hero. Like as if my role is to, is to make myself the best kind of trophy so that you can be the best kind of hero. But in my mind, like I'm the fucking hero. What do you mean? I don't want a trophy. I just want to be the hero. So where do I stand? Because I don't feel empty at all, at all. I could, I've consumed you, sir, and everyone who became before you and everyone who came after you. 
after you were long gone. So tell me, what, what, am I still an empty vessel? Do things just like run through me? Do they just, what, what? I don't understand. Mm. So yeah, that was also part of it. I don't know how I got to the misogyny, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's pretty pre- present in the world. Mm. <laughs> um, it, it was making me think of, well, it made me think of, you know, we were talking about just how everyone's capitalizing on our desire not to feel pain and how like new age thought and spirituality is such a big part of that. And there's just so much like, you know, you, maybe you get excited about one teacher and then you learn a bit about them or you see a bit more about how they're preaching and it's like, oh, right. They're just trying to sell something or they're just trying to get me hooked into needing them. So I I continue to need them. Um, But maybe think of, I spent some time in a Kundalini yoga community, um, Kundalini yoga as, as taught by Yogi Bhajan and, um, you know, his, that specific lineage that he brought over and claimed there was like this golden chain of teachers. And it turns out he was just making it all up or like he'd, he'd co-opted all these different other things. And, but one of the teachings was man is a reflection of woman. Mm-hmm. And so they've kind of gone the other direction of like, you know, they're like, oh, we can, we can uh, capitalize on these women. So we're going to tell them that they're all powerful, that they're 16 times more powerful than men. That was like the specific number. They had a lot of specific numbers and, and sort of angles and ideas. And that's something that, that struck me for a while. Cause I was like, well, yes, women are more powerful than men, you know, ah. <laughs> of course. Um, well, and then if you look at, like, if you think of, you know, I think of like Osiris, um, Isis and Osiris and Horus, like the, the, you know, the divine feminine being this like primordial fabric. Um, and so I'm like, is this true? But that's something that kind of gets me caught up in relationship where I start putting all the blame on myself because I'm like, oh, he's just this reflection of like, I have to be better so he can be better, which is just this just hidden misogyny is just twisted around misogyny in a different like box, like legit. And so many new age spiritualists don't realize that what they're doing is refurbishing Catholicism. Like that's all this is like at this point, we're just refurbishing, creating new dogma. And like you said, capitalizing on the fact that women have been disempowered. So let's just make them feel more empowered and uh, go from there. But I don't think that one exists without the other, or one can rise without the other. Like, for example, in the Kybalion, the way that they break it down is that woman or the feminine energy is the active creative process. But the active creative process alone is absolute chaos, obviously. The masculine is the activation, the direction, this consistent like push in a in a certain to a certain way or to a certain place or in a certain direction or the expansion according to a certain equation let's say we need to have both and even when you speak of the ancient gods like uh, ashira was the consort of el right and mother of baal or yam now ashira is the mother of the gods but El is the father of men, the creator of men. There is no earth or existence without the God's creation of men or the goddess's birthing of the gods. Those are 
together, if there was just a world of gods, if there was just Asherah and she was the one on top and there was nothing else, then we wouldn't be here. There'd be no, there'd be no humans. And if it was just someone creating humans, like there wouldn't be anyone to create the humans. Like there's, there's this necessary completion factor and we've externalized it to become man, woman, but it's not because these Aslan, these terms are so arbitrary, masculine and feminine. What, what does that even mean? There's no masculine and feminine. There are these two yin yang energies that dance within each and every one of us. If I want to get a project done, if I'm the most talented person in the world and I don't have any willpower, I'll never get anything done. I'll just have ideas and I'll lie down on the couch and do nothing. That's me in just absolute feminine energy, creative energy. At the same time, I could have all the willpower in the world and zero talent. And I'm, I'm going to end up just being another number in a company, a cog, pushing, pushing a button for a machine. And I won't be creative. I'll just be on autopilot doing what I'm supposed to do. Totally in my masculine. So like where, how, how can we even say like, what, what, what gives us the idea that we can say one is better than the other, or one is greater or more powerful. Like they don't even exist without each other. How are you going to walk forward with just your right leg? Like what, what is supposed to hold the weight while your right leg swings forward? How do those exist without each other? How do you have a one-sided coin? Is it a coin? Can you have a, a, a coin with two heads or with, with, with just a head? Like, is the head better than the tail? Is the left foot better than the right foot? Like, what, what are we doing? What is, who's teaching us this logic and how have we been convinced by it? Well, it's like, it makes me think of those, the future is female shirts. <laughs> like, yes. We, we've been so oppressed that the overcorrect just takes us way in the opposite direction, which is the same thing in just a different costume. And, and, and like, we want this equilibrium, we want this balance, but like so many of us are in overcorrect and being like all the noises coming in and we're just trying to survive. And it's like, well, yes, of course, women, like men suck or whatever, whatever the ideology is that, that comes out of it, that then triggers the people who are on the other, holding the other polarity. And we're just like triggering polarities. And, and then like, we're like, hi, how do we get to the middle part that, Oh, we've been so deeply programmed to demonize. There always has to be another or we're not comfortable. We demonize the feminine. If we're going to uplift the feminine, we have to demonize the masculine. Hey, you, why do we have to demonize? Why do we have to demonize anything? Like what? what? And why can these not be complementary things? Why can't they be complementary energies, states of being like, like we need to be able to dance with ourselves, with each other. And it's like you said, it's this overcorrection because, and that's understandable as well, because yes, there has been a lot of oppression for a long time, but like we need some grace at this point. We're not going to get anywhere. We're going to end up in a similar place that we did with just different faces to the oppressor and the demon will have a new name, but there will be a demon uh, you, you know, there's always something we need to lock up or hide away or demonize. And it's just, uh, it's, it's frustrating, but 
I think we're getting better. Like I'm, I've been talking to people, like, for example, you, like you're one person, I'm one person. And yes, we're only two people, but that's just, I think that's as much as it takes just one person at a time being able to be comfortable with all sides of existence, being able to recognize that we are prone to othering and that will always be played on by people, influencers, corporations, countries, government, anything. Our capacity to be afraid of what we don't know and what is different than us is always going to be played on, always going to be pushing us into this NPC uh, autopilot mode that we don't need. We really don't. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I learned about the term NPC not too long ago. Someone was talking about it on TikTok and I was like, what does NPC, like non-player <laughs> character, like you're just the background in someone else's story and, or, you know, maybe you don't have autonomy. You're just kind of like moving through the, um, and I agree. I think it's getting better. I know it's getting better. I mean, I have conversations with people all the time and I see it. I witness it in myself and, and those around me, like big shifts of pers perspective. And it's like, whoa, like one day we're talking about this and you didn't see things that way. And the next day you're like advocating like to me for this thing. Um, yeah. And that's so exciting. Um, mm. it, it, it just, it invites for me so much curiosity. Like the fear is so present with the curiosity. Cause I'm like, great, everything's changing, but then, oh, the world's also changing so fast. And like, it's, we seem so powerless when we look at the corporate structures and like politics, for example, like it's just, it feels so, so deeply embedded. And then the methodology, which we use to protest often reifies those systems. And then it's like, mm. well, what's left? alchemy <laughs> <laughs> literally just like that and that's a journey in itself right accepting that everything is okay even in all of its turmoil um even in all of this corruption and all of this manipulation and all of these people suffering and all, all the stuff going on to be able to come to a place and say it's okay it's a reflection of me and I'm going to go inward and see what inner child am I starving? What, what corruption am I internalizing? What part of me am I allowing to dominate the other parts? What am I allowing myself to believe that doesn't actually serve me as a human being and doesn't bring anything to anyone's life that's valuable? That, that in itself is its uh, its own journey because there is a lot going on and it's hard not to get caught up in the anxiety of it all but there's also this really great power in being able to say it's okay it's okay mm. I'm gonna do my part and my part is taking all of this and seeing how it exists within me and cleaning it up that's my responsibility and hopefully other people see that and they feel compelled to do the same mm. Mm. yes because if we're following the impulse of believing that we can change and fix everything, it, it's just a form of martyrdom and narcissism, you know, perpetuating mm -hmm. the, that, which I think are kind of the polarities of our time, maybe of the Piscean age, although I hate that terminology, but, you know, I think about the Jesus Trump kind of like, like, because like, <laughs> like, I don't think Jesus was actually like, um, I don't think Jesus was a martyr. I think that that was the story that was placed upon him because that served the state. Um, and I, I find it so interesting that the major arcana are trump cards. Like, do you, have you ever thought about yeah. like, correlation? Yes. 
Yes, definitely. Like, whoa, what? Yeah. This energy? Do I really have to incorporate? I've had that crisis. Like, do I have to incorporate that energy? And the voice is always like, Ilian, don't test me. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be less judgmental. <laughs> my friend because, who's, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you go. Oh, just my, my friend who's not into esoteric things, uh, but is getting a PhD in sociology, uh, was talking about s- Trump's ISIS, like we're referring to like people on the right in, and I was like, Trump's ISIS. I have a very different correlation for both of those words. Wow. Yeah. I, I honestly, I mean, I'm not American, right? So, but from the outside, I felt like Trump was so appropriate for his time. Um, I don't think, I don't think America could have had a better president than Trump when it had Trump, because honestly, America is reaching a point where it wants to deny the, the fact that this is what it looks like to the world. You need to look yourself in the fucking face. This is what you look like. Welcome to your own shadow, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we see, we're seeing another aspect of it today, this half-baked thousand-year-old dude falling asleep on podiums, mumbling his words. Like, that's just another aspect of the shadow. Like, you know, this these people represent who we are as a collective. That's worth looking at. And I, I always like to, especially on Twitter, like after 2 a.m. on Twitter, I'm on right-wing Twitter, right-wing America Twitter, uh, because I watch people fight in comments over things like gender identity, trans people, what the Joe Biden, the Middle East, whatever the fuck. And you look at these conversations and you can you can see that uh, no one is trying to reconcile. No one is trying to understand the other. No one is trying to create any dissolution of the barrier between them. It, it's all attack. It's all just contributing to the divide, feeding into the programming. Um, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I think Trump was a great symbol of all of that. Like just this very loud, very obnoxious, very disgusting. Don't give a fuck. I am going to be an entertainer more so than a politician while behind the scenes, we essentially dismantle everything that makes this place a democracy. And and people just ate it up. They ate it up. All you saw on the news was, oh my God, Trump called somebody a faggot. Do I, who cares? Like, are you joking? What? Trump, Trump is rude to a Asian uh, press woman journalist. Of course he's going to be rude to an Asian journalist. He's fucking rude to his mother, probably. What are you talking about? How is this news? How is it a headline? Like, what is going on? It was the clickbait like you were talking about like that's the, <laughs> you know and that's why he became president is because it fed the news cycle mm-hmm. yeah. like i i don't personally i don't think he would have been president without his performance on reality television and without the the, the news media obsession about him like if but I mean, it's all baked in right you can't really escape any of that but like because that's what he represented he's the pinnacle of mm. that corporate America the industrial complex and it he really like 
inceptioned himself into presidency. Like when I look back, like when I'm watching old sitcoms from the 90s and the early 2000s, I realized that there is not an American show that doesn't mention this man, one of his towers, one of his hotels. He is all over the place. He lives in the American subconscious, easy, if not the global subconscious, because all of us are consuming American culture at this point. Um, but yeah, he's everywhere. Man's inceptioned his way to the top. Well, you know what's really interesting? There's this this documentary, BBC documentary called Hypernormalization. Um, and they took that terminology from, I think it came up in Russia in, in the seventies around when things were going very poorly, but the government kept saying, everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. And like people hyper, like tricking people into normalized to worsening realities. And in that documentary, they look at the 1970s as this turning point for the economy of when, um, when things shifted on the planet and 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 government and politics became destabilized and the power got handed over to the banks and that's mm -hmm. like you can even look at like the climate change graph at that's uptick from the 19th and like the exponential growth that's happened since then and trump was there and they address him at, in in the documentary like the buying and selling of real estate and it's just like, oh, he he was there like pulling threads and 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 making things happen and like literally destabilizing the planet. Um, and that's that's where it's led. And now maybe he's going to prison. We don't know. <laughs> like, I just I don't even know if men like that can go to prison. Like do, pe do people like that have prisons? I don't know. Uh, this what you said though is so interesting because it reminded me of. Hunter Thompson's novel, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And the whole novel is essentially saying what you're saying symbolically, right? Because all he's doing is running around on Benzedrine and acid and having just, a, it's this full on psychological novel of him seeing through the fabric of reality and realizing that the American dream is dead. It's totally corrupted. The capitalism is running rampant. Everything is disgusting, violent, thrown, everything just always falling apart the whole novel is just everything as if disintegrating and he's trying to deal with it as a journalist um and it was written i think and published in the early 70s and that was hunter thompson's whole spiel that's why he invented gonzo journalism to try and reflect this corrupt disgusting state of the bourgeoisie and the capitalist uh class I think he started the style with his article on the Kentucky Derby. Mm. And he's just talking about all the different people that are there going around talking to them, seeing what they think. And these people are so disconnected from reality. It is almost, it's, it's dystopic, honestly. Oh, yeah, really interesting. If you haven't read that book, I definitely suggest you read it because you would love it. Yes. It's pretty much a book trying to say what you just said. <laughs> that <laughs> it's so, 70s. yeah, I get so excited by, yeah, finding patterns and like finding other little tidbits, like in the research where you go like, oh, and then you keep finding the, the, the same thing. And it's just like, oh, that was a turning point. That was a linchpin. Um, I looked to the 15th century, which is where 
the tarot can be traced back to like before the 15th century, we don't know. And what else happened in the 15th century was the um, prolifer the invention and the proliferation of the printing press, which mm -hmm. completely changed the world. And the doctrine of discovery, like the, the, the paperwork from the Catholic church that encouraged and allowed um, colonizers to go to the West and, and take, steal the land. And to me, it's just, I, I started looking at the tarot as sort of this map for understanding that specific structure, that like colonial Catholic paradigm. Um, and especially with the pairing of like understanding that how the written word, you know, like the word versus the image um, and how like the overabundance of that triggers more of the, the left brain, the patriarchal, the like linear type thinking paired with all of that. And I go, oh, okay, like, we can understand these things intellectually that feel so out of our grasp. And to, I get so excited, especially about the minors, because not so many people talk about the minors in tarot, like as a, you know, like, can we understand the actual emotional processes that are happening, like as we're integrating information and thinking thoughts and like co-creating reality? Mm -hmm. my rant. I, <laughs> hmm. I love it. And um, it made me think about too, now that you're talking about like the the early 15th, early 14th century and tarot, um, we, it's also like important to remember that Islam was in Europe at this point. And th the uh, Islamic practice is very magical, alchemically oriented very early on. Sufism is as old as Islam itself, some say older. And the cards as playing cards first came with the uh, Mamluks in the 11th century when they first broke into Europe and Spain became Andalusia. So there was this, during this time, Europe was divided among itself, right? All of these different states were fighting each other, all these different popes trying to get power, whatnot. And it wasn't until the Muslims really crept in to Europe and became a part of Europe and became, Andalusia became the empire that genuinely brought all the knowledge of the world together. It was the Muslims who translated the Greeks, the Germans, the Mesopotamians. They, they translated everything. They collected all the knowledge of the world and translated it. And what the European world did was take the magic and then demonize it. The Europe only came together because it was threatened by Islam. They essentially were like, you know what, you guys, we need to stop fighting each other, come together and fight these Baphomet worshippers because this is a problem. Like they are too close. They are too close. And the Germans are in bed with them. And this is not OK. Like we need to we need to get our shit together. We need to get our act together. That is that was literally the the inspiration for Christianity to unify itself for the Christian world to come together and say, you know what, we need to just agree, or else, you know, the Muslims are gonna are gonna eat us up like this. This we can't have this. This can't be okay. While also benefiting from all of the magic that came with Islam and that came from the the Eastern world. Islam brought Far East religions, it brought uh, Chinese magic, it brought Indian silks and spices, it, it brought everything. And to this day, to this day, the Arab world remains a thorn in the side of the West. To this day, the continent remains uncolonized, and it remains just the biggest failure that Western Europe 
spaces. And that's why we see things like the war on terror, the war on the terror that we essentially are continuously funding. Like, are you joking, bro? Are you, come on, who, who is, who's playing to this tune anymore? Like, it's just khalas. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to, 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 to bring all of that together too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so fascinating how little we conceive of the, the trajectory of Christianity and how it changed since um, Jesus was crucified. You know, and there's those those pinpoints over time, like when Constantine first made the political decision to have it be the state religion, and then you're you're saying again um, in the in the 14th and 15th centuries, because like the 1300s, that's medieval considered medieval time, and I've only just brushed up against the research in that area, but looking at um, Hugh of Saint Victor and his studies of Saint Augustine and how like the way that we interacted with knowledge, the way that we interacted with literature changed during that time, the way that we held knowledge changed. And like, just to be today in the modern world, I think that we consider so little or question so little how we operate, how we speak, how we think and how we perceive and interact with the world and like can't even comprehend how different it was. Yeah. And we forget how much of what we reject and we think is evil and bad and different is actually so deeply embedded in the way we move. I know Islamophobes who use playing cards. You play cards, but you're also an Islamophobe. But you don't realize that this little thing that you're playing with, this was made by your enemies. This is a practice. This is your enemy's practice. You learned it from them. Hayeti. Uh, people who call themselves witches, pagans, etc., who are essentially engaging in medieval Islamic talismanic fun, who also think that Islam is bad and they want to eradicate things like hijab and whatever. Bro, who told you that the hijabis want you to eradicate their hijab? Who, who, why do you, why, why do you think that you have some grand righteousness? to be the one to decide what's good and what's not, what's freedom and what isn't. And like you said, during this, during this like 13th to 15th century, we, things changed the way we, like you said, consume knowledge, the way we read, the way we think about things changed drastically. Um, they were very, people like St. Augustine were very Neoplatonic in thought And that whole realm of ascetic thinking is so dangerous because it demonizes what they what is considered beast-like, beastly, human, essentially, base, sexual, desire. You shouldn't need to eat. You shouldn't need to have sex. A true hero doesn't have sex. Like, are you joking? Because honestly, it feels like a true pervert is somebody who's who suppresses their sexual desires that just makes you paranoid as fuck and then that's how we get all of this weird ass exegesis that makes absolutely no sense i was reading some stuff by like the priests and the rabbis who were like say in captivity or practicing their asceticism and and putting it off as like the highest mode of being these people are paranoid as fuck like i saw this one thing on 
expounding on the curses of womanhood. Women uh, grow their hair long like Lilith. They sit to urinate like beasts and they serve solely as bolsters for their husbands. And this is divine revelation. This is not a joke. This is not your average book. This is not a blog. This is divine revelation. Like you will memorize these and you will take them with you and pass them on to your children vibes. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Legit, no joke. Not to mention that like Plato, Plato was convinced that uh, a period, a woman's period was uh, hysteria. That's that's where the word hysteria comes from, right? From uterus. And the idea was that when a woman was PMSing and having a period, what was happening was her uterus was so angry that it wasn't full of a child that it would wander around her body, taking revenge on all the other organs, which is why it's so important for women to get pregnant as soon as possible to relieve them of this pain. And if you can stay pregnant, that's even better. The more children you can have, the less periods you'll have, the less angry your uterus will be, the less hysteric you will be. <laughs> Nothing has changed today. They still <laughs> want us just consistently pregnant. Like, or, you know, just, they just want to control that. They want to control that. Mm they're jealous they have womb envy <laughs> legit paracelsus tried to make an oven he tried to make a homunculus his goal was to birth a homunculus without the help of a woman and he came to the conclusion that all you need all you really need is a horse belly some feces and a tube with the right amount of sperm in it and you could make yourself a homunculus ah. without a woman. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> no joke. Um, something uh, Janelle Monet said many years ago always stuck with me. She's like, we birthed this world and we can unbirth it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that is the energy I'm taking forward. Like, honestly, yeah. all it takes, all it really takes, like on that subject. All it takes is for women to collectively raise their standards. If we stop having sex with dusties, they will be forced to grow. It's it's really not that complicated. They will do anything to get some. If we could just collectively agree to cut them off, we would see a lot of improvement. It, mm. it really doesn't, it wouldn't even take much more than that, honestly. But we all have to collectively agree. <laughs> it's always one girl that's going to ruin it for the rest of us, like Pearl or something. You're like, come on, Pearl, like we made an <laughs> agreement. I mean, there's, you know, there's the incels though, who, but they've collected, like they're, that's a whole other kind of can of worms, <laughs> but I, you're, you're speaking to like the men who are like close or like, like you know, the like, oh, but we're, I, I'm a fool. I'm a fool for love. I'm a, I, <laughs> me too. I'm not, you know, I, I don't hate men. I don't have like a whole, I'm, I'm not a. Um, all men are the problem kind of feminist. I think people are the problem in general. Um, mm. But mm. yeah, just, I mean, for fun, just because I know so many women that are so miserable, more so than men. Like mm. that, that's just how it happens to be so far. This is the wiring that we've got. This is the way we've developed. 
it's easier for y'all to fuck us over at this point like it just is we're we're good at falling for it we want to fall for it you just i just need somebody to tell me i'm beautiful every morning that's it that's my heart that's <laughs> it doesn't take much like <laughs> like after many many years of um dating just like i don't know you going Dutch and, and just being like, I remember going out for dinner with this guy and he like paid for a nice dinner and a bottle of wine. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, Kelly, just do not fall in love with the first guy who buys you a nice bottle of wine for dinner. Like, oh my, oh my God. God. And I did. Well, I didn't like fall in love, but you know, I fell enough to get hurt. <laughs> and I'm like, you warned yourself, you knew, but like, we keep doing it anyways. Cause we're like, oh, but it feels so good. And it's different this time. It's different this time. I mean, I'm with it. I don't know. I can't say I'm against this. I'm I'm also huge on love. It, it's not, I, I don't hold that part of myself back, even when I know it's going to hurt. But like we said in the beginning, you know, it's your capacity to love that determines your capacity to suffer. So yeah. what are we going to do? We're just going to just have to ride the wave. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just, yeah, allow like, Rumi says, you know, you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. Oh, yes. And I feel like I'm like, could my heart be any more open? But actually, <laughs> yes, it could. And I, I continue to experience what I feel like is just uh, like tapping into unconditional love because I, I believe that love is the fabric and like what we call love through the human experience is like something a little bit different. Like, you know, it's that Venus kind of, mm. there's different levels to it, but like it's stories ultimately that we're telling each other about what is the primordial fabric and like any opportunity I have, which often comes through heartbreak to be with that, just the unconditional, you know, oneness, then I know that's what I'm here for. I know that's what we're all here for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Oh. Well, that feels like a, a a complete place to to wrap up mm. this wonderful conversation. Mm-hmm. Love um, is the fabric. Love is the fabric. Yeah, <laughs> and women raise your standards. No, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, everyone, 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 just people. You know, yeah. if you know somebody is is being bad to you, like. Be be aware. Don't ignore every red flag. Like, you know, get away from cruel people. And right. yeah, I think I think you know there are some of us who cut and run. There are some of us who stay too long. You know, we we're all participating in different ways. But I think the goal of all of this, like to 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 be with the fabric, is to love ourselves unconditionally first. And to, to trust, I think also this is a big part, to trust that we deserve what we want or that we can access what we want. Or like, for me, there's been so much gaslighting of myself, of, of like my needs and desires. But I think in getting, in, in, in for, for me, what hiring my standards means is trusting that, it, that, that, I, that I'm allowed, that I can have these things that I desire or if that makes sense, that's just what's coming mm-hmm. through for me. Cause it's, it's been a journey. <laughs> no, I feel you because I think like, yeah, we're being silly about it, but like, it's, it's not even like do this or don't do that as much as like everything you do 
let it be graceful let it be loving genuinely loving like you know if you see say a red flag in someone you're gonna date them and love them do it but like do it with the awareness of that don't don't do it lying to yourself or pretending to yourself or forcing yourself like give yourself the grace to be as real as possible even when that means loving an aspect of your shadow that's manifest in somebody let yourself know that that's what you're doing it's it's kind of stoic you know like in like like the stoics tell you to meditate on death remember that you're going to die because over time that is what makes you comfortable with the anxiety of non-existence and i think it's just the same on every level to practice the awareness practice having the awareness of what we're doing regardless of whether it's good bad painful harmful good whatever at the end of the day if you're doing anything you're doing with awareness and, and intention it is contributing to your expansion no matter what any therapist or doctor or person or judgy friend or whatever tells you you know even if you're dating the most you're in the most toxic relationship by everyone's standards if you are doing that with intention and awareness, you're actually genuinely there, giving yourself the grace to be who you are. In my, it's in my opinion that one, you will naturally leave that situation when you're ready, and two, it will have contributed to your expansion, no matter mm. what. Mm. Mm. Yes, being there with full presence and awareness and acceptance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for all of this. This has been such a delight. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. this is great. Yeah. And um, people can find you if they don't already know, if they're not already following you, which I'm sure many listeners are, but for the new ones, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok, Discord, Twitter, any mm -hmm. other spaces where people can find Twitchy Witch? YouTube. YouTube. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> I am. Um, that, that is my like last frontier. <laughs> <laughs> me too me too i'm not i'm not very good at youtube yet but we're getting there yeah and discord you've been enjoying being in that space and love my favorite part of all of this has become the the community it's the best yeah. we have so much stuff going on too now like activities tarot circles book club film club like there's so much going on in that space now i love that's it. so exciting that's yeah. so wonderful. Is there anything specific coming up? Any specific events you want to share or? Uh, we have Kai Baileyon discussion on Monday, Ooh. our book club. Yeah. And then we're going to move to start reading the Hermetica and a movie night on the 25th. So the Sunday after next week, we're going to watch Midsommar, the director's cut. Uh, Tarot circle happens. Yeah. It's so, it's so cool. Anja. It's so much fun. Tarot Circle happens every like two or three weeks on Sundays. Trivia night happens almost every other night. Uh, so this is always fun stuff. If so, if you want to come to the Discord, just just sign into Discord. Just come and be like, hey, what's up? And to browse. Very cool. Amazing. What how wonderful to be building community. That's really like that's it. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And um, I hope that we'll have the opportunity to talk again sometime. Yeah. Thank you.